I mean, I'm fierce, I'm mad, I'm rude, I got that pro-fighter attitude I'm in the octagon with the podcast on, let's talk about it on Scrapitude You know I've been the best, grab my belt and begin to flex So wild, I might hit the rep, we got the winner's circle segments And the two-on-five takeaways with Tim and Jeff, so just kick back Grab a brew, it's fight night, so you know what we have to do Whether a power punch or a grapple move, you know we got you covered on Scrapitude So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night, so you know what we have to do Whether a power punch or a grapple move, you know we got you covered on Scrapitude Yeah, Scrap, Scrap What's up, everybody? This is Timothy E. Lewis taking you coast to coast, doing the most. It is Thursday afternoon, and you are listening to Tim Talk 281, brought to you by the Scraptitude Podcast Network. Getting right into things, we will be covering a selection of six fights on UFC 281. But first, I'd like to give you an overview of this podcast for the first-time listeners. We're always picking up new listeners, something we're proud of. A testament to the listeners themselves who are spreading the good word. And beyond that, I would be remiss to not review the results of Tim Talk 280. What makes this podcast unique is that I take three key perspectives. That of the odds makers, an aggregate understanding of the odds. I pool odds from a variety of different bookies, average them out, so that you have the perspective of what the odds makers are thinking for each and every fight. I also implement the beta one equation, an equation that takes a few select data points, configures them into a logical equation, and then spits out numbers that I reference against one another's in an attempt to create what I call the holy grail equation, a fight predicting equation. The third perspective is that of myself, Timothy talking. I take the narratives going into the odds. I review the numbers comprehensively in combination with the beta one equation along with my decade-plus of experience watching film, which allows me to provide a comprehensive view that contextualizes what I see with what the numbers bear out and what the community at large is saying. At the end of each fight I review, I will give you what I think is the most probabilistic outcome. I might shout out a prop bet. The goal here is to help y'all make money. So whether or not you go with what I think is the outcome, I hope to provide you with a comprehensive base of information that allows you to place the best bets come fight night. Now let's dig into UFC 280. Neither myself, Beta One, nor the odds makers did particularly well on the selection of fights that I curated, and all for differing reasons. I refuse to chalk up my miscalculations as an aberration. There's always things to learn. At the same time, we can look at this card and realize that There were some unusual outcomes, both in terms of the judges and how they scored. Of course, the judges are a part of the game, a part of the volatility here, as well as a number of upset victories that were hard to see coming. At the end of the day, this is a small sample sport. Fighters spend a long time preparing for the fight, but they only get 15 to 25 minutes to execute. And that can be a temperamental process where the most minuscule of details swing a bet either for or against us. On the night, the odds makers went three of six, correctly identifying Islam Makachev, Aljamain Sterling, and Manon Fior as victors. Beta One went two of six, identifying Bilal Muhammad and Aljamain Sterling as victors, and I went three of six, identifying Aljamain Sterling, Manon Fior, and Bilal Muhammad. 
where the card really ate me up is trying to pick outcome specific predictions where I only nailed one out of the six total being Manon Fior defeating Caitlin Chukagian by decision, a verdict we didn't even get plus money on. While I could spend time bemoaning my errors or making excuses, instead I'm focusing on UFC 281 and making sure we do better this time. So let's lock and load. It's about to get real. Yo, yeah. The first fight on the docket is Renato Moicano versus Brad Riddell. Now you'll notice there's a lot of Aussies-New Zealanders on this card. This city kickboxing gym is like family. They travel together, they fight together, they prepare together. Everyone is in tune and ready to rock. Currently, the odds makers have this one near even with Hinato Moicano as a minus 124 favorite to the plus 102 of Brad Riddell. That converts to a 55.4% implied likelihood of victory for Moicano to the 49.5% implied likelihood for Brad Riddell. Beta 1 agrees with the odds makers, albeit by a larger margin, favoring Hanato Moicano. Now, these guys are two very different fighters. Moicano's calling card is his Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but he does have a rangy and technical striking acumen. Meanwhile, Brad Riddell is a former kickboxer with a finely tuned sprawl and brawl approach. The area that these two have in common is both have been trapped or relegated to the bottom portion of this top 15, just outside of it looking in. Both have attempted to climb this mountain of a lightweight division, and both have come short, namely in their matchups with Rafael Fiziev. Something I immediately expect to stand out is the height differential here, as Hinato Moicano stands around 5'10", 5'11", to the much shorter 5'7", Brad Riddell. This stoutness has worked in the favor of Riddell, allowing him to scramble and refute takedown attempts in the past, but we've also seen him dwarfed in comparison to his opponents at times, namely in his last bout, a first-round loss to Jalen Turner. Hinato Moicano is the more experienced fighter, but that figure only takes into context mixed martial arts experience and not their combat sports experience as a whole, which is worth noting considering Brad Riddell's prior kickboxing experience. What's interesting here is both men bring with them a susceptibility to the strength of the other. Two of Brad Riddell's three finish losses have come by way of submission, and Hinato Moicano has been chinned on more than one occasion. Both fighters bring with them a substantial amount of volatility in this fight, with high loss by finish rates. Moicano's ranking in at 18% to the 29% of Brad Riddell. Some of that figure skews heavily for Brad Riddell simply because he's faced a high level of competition without having that many fights, and therefore any fights that he would have lost by finish would stand out more blatantly in the loss by finish figure considering he has less total fights to measure those losses by finish against. All that said, I am favoring Hanato Moicano here. Brad Riddell has yet to achieve a TKO finish in the UFC, despite at times showing that he can pack a punch. Therefore, I'm a little bit more skeptical of his ability to expose the durability of Hinato Moicano in comparison to Hinato Moicano's ability to expose the weakness being the grappling of Brad Riddell. While Hinato Moicano has broken my heart before, I believe his more multifaceted approach will keep Brad Riddell guessing as Moicano grinds out rounds. 
While there's certainly room for a finish here, I believe that its impending likelihood is a little bit overplayed. I'm leaning Hinato Moicano by decision. That's available at plus 300 right now on FanDuel. Yo, yeah. Up next is Dan Hooker versus Claudio Puelas. Currently, Dan Hooker is a minus 157 favorite to the plus 128 underdog Claudio Puelas. That converts to a 61.1% implied likelihood of victory for Dan Hooker to the 43.9% of Claudio Puelas. Beta 1 also favors Dan Hooker and by a substantial margin. That makes us 2 for 2 in agreement between the numbers and the odds makers and it's hard to pick against them when the two align. In a fight like this where one is clearly on the ascent and has a low strength of schedule versus a fighter who is hit a rough patch but against a high strength of schedule, these intersections can make for some funny odds because the film tells us that Claudio Puelas has been performing. He's been finishing fighters and the film tells us that Dan Hooker has been getting his ass resoundingly kicked. Let's try to give this point some perspective. Claudio Puelas' last three fights, three wins, were against Jordan Levitt, Chris Grutzenmacher, and Clay Guida. Dan Hooker, alternatively, has his last three fights against Arnold Allen, the surging featherweight contender, Islam Makachev, the current lightweight champion, and Nasrat Hakparast. There are several magnitudes separating the caliber of competition the two fighters have faced. While the recent weight cut down to 145 does present some concerns for Dan Hooker, I'm able to write off some of these losses based on the fact that he's still in the prime of his career at 32 years old. He's still a good and capable fighter, albeit at a level lower than some of the competition he was facing. Claudio Puelas represents a huge step down, and that's not intended as disrespect to Puelas, who is an aggressive fighter with a dangerous submission profile. My thing here is that Claudio Puelas is vulnerable as a striker. He's not an explosive athlete. He does not have high-level wrestling. While he does have some unorthodox ways of attacking submissions, Dan Hooker is a tenured veteran. Look for that knee coming upstairs on a sloppy Puelas takedown attempt. I'm taking Dan Hooker to finish this one by TKO. Yo, yeah. The third fight covered today is Frankie the Answer Edgar against Chris Gutierrez. Currently, the odds are plus 181 as an underdog for Frankie Edgar to the minus 228 favorite of Chris Gutierrez. That converts to a 35.6% implied likelihood of victory for Frankie Edgar to the 69.5% implied likelihood for Gutierrez. Beta 1 disagrees this time around with the odds makers, suggesting that Frankie Edgar is a substantial favorite based largely on his overall experience and the quality of said experience. In doing my homework for this fight, I came across an interesting data point. Frankie Edgar at plus 135 was less, less of an underdog against Marlon Chido Vera than he is against Chris Gutierrez. As we know, Edgar would lose that fight via brutal third round TKO, but he was relatively competitive. And I asked the listeners, what has changed other than the fact that he got knocked out and is a year older. Saying it out loud, that does sound problematic, but it is interesting to note that Edgar was already old, and he was already coming off of a devastating knockout loss to Corey Sandhagen. I'd also like to point out that Frankie Edgar looked 
pretty good against Marlon Vera. He got stung a few times before the finish, but less so than Rob Font or Dominic Cruz. And the fact is, Cheeto hits like a truck and finishes fights. He is well on his way to a bantamweight title shot. For what it's worth, Frankie was also performing well, landing combinations, hitting takedowns, and establishing significant control time. Turning the attention to Chris Gutierrez, he is an exciting fighter to watch. He has strike variety, throws a lot of kicks, and can deliver explosive knockouts as we saw in his last fight against Bat Jarrell. Sorry if I butchered that name. Whatever. His last fight. What should also be noted from that last fight is that Chris Gutierrez had a harrowing first round in which he got rocked, got taken down, and got pounded on. He was losing that fight pretty clearly until he landed that spectacular spinning back fist, which led to a knockdown, which ultimately led to the follow-up ground and pound and TKO victory. From what I've seen of Gutierrez, he hasn't been impressive as a wrestler or grappler. He reminds me of a budget Yair Rodriguez. And again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It's just in the scope of Frankie Edgar's career, we know that he's not what he once was. There's a question as to how much he's declined. But when we're stacking up a Chris Gutierrez in combination, we need some context as to the level of opponent he's facing here. Is this somebody who's going to capitalize on Frankie Edgar's decline? Or is this somebody who Frankie Edgar should be able to defeat even with declining speed and a deteriorating chin? I've outlined that Frankie Edgar is a vulnerable fighter here. But he's also a gamer. He's been in this sport for so long and he's been fighting at the highest level. He's finally getting fed somebody that, well, on the upswing of their career, is not an established contender, not even a ranked fighter in the context of this bantamweight division. In addition, he's not an elite finisher, he doesn't have a a particularly high strength of schedule, and his uninspiring boxing and wrestling skill sets leave him vulnerable in a fight like this. For me, it's an ideal fight for Frankie Edgar to go out and call it a career on a win. I think he takes this one by decision. Yo, yeah. The fourth fight I'm covering is Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. Dustin Poirier has ballooned up to a minus 226 favorite to the plus 179 underdog, Michael Chandler. That converts to a 69.3% implied likelihood of victory for Dustin Poirier to the 35.8% implied likelihood of victory for Michael Chandler. Beta 1 has this fight much closer, but also leans towards Dustin Poirier. When looking at this matchup stylistically, one can't help but think back to Dustin Poirier's fights with Eddie Alvarez. Both he and Chandler graduated from Bellator to the UFC. Both he and Chandler boast a wrestling acumen and heavy hands. But I think that that might be oversimplifying the stylistic matchup of Chandler and Dustin Poirier. Chandler's far more explosive than Eddie Alvarez. He covers ground more quickly. Eddie might be the more defensively responsible fighter, but I see Chandler as being more offensively gifted, both in terms of his takedown ability and the power he holds within his hands. Over the span of his career, Dustin Poirier has just a 64% takedown defense rate. However, he was able to stuff all but one of Alvarez's seven takedown attempts. While I expect Chandler to be similarly overmatched with Dustin Poirier's boxing, I think his wrestling plays a bigger factor than it did for Alvarez in his battles with Poirier. Could it be the swing factor? We shall see. 
Side note is that I am curious to see them at weigh-ins as Dustin Poirier is listed at 5'9", while Michael Chandler is 5'8". However, I think we'll see more of a gap between the two when they're standing face-to-face with their shoes off. Getting away from height-mongering, these two have awesome statistical profiles. The thing that really differentiates where they are in their career is that Michael Chandler is 36, past the age apex, and Dustin Poirier is at the very tail end of his prime at 33 years old. This is it for Mike Chandler. He's been laser-focused trying to see you at the top, and Dustin Poirier has been a mainstay in this division. Something that stands out to me is that both of these fighters may not have the reputation for it, but have been very durable throughout their careers, each sporting sub-15% loss by finish rates. They are both good finishers, but it's highly unlikely that either fighter lands a submission in this fight. 25% of Dustin Poirier's career wins have come by submission, while 30% of Michael Chandler's career wins have come by submission. Meanwhile, Dustin Poirier has a 50% knockout rate to the 48% knockout rate of Michael Chandler. Wiping out the likelihood of a submission, because I think it's a rather negligible outcome, We're looking at the propensity for a knockout here. It's in the range of outcomes, but I don't believe it's all that likely. I see this one going to the scorecards, which just leaves us with who's going to win. Each man has a stellar statistical profile. Each man has cut their teeth at the top end of lightweight division, both inside and outside the UFC. But to me, the separating factor here is not the wrestling of Michael Chandler, but the age-adjusted experience of Dustin Poirier. I expect Michael Chandler to utilize that wrestling, but I don't foresee long bouts of control time or significant dominance mounted in the grappling sequences. If he did, that would surprise me and would probably boost his trajectory in my eyes in his prospects in the lightweight division as a whole. To be frank, I think the odds are too far spread. Michael Chandler's athleticism and wrestling does have the capacity to give Dustin Poirier a lot of problems. This is only a three-round fight. There's a lot of volatility there. Where I'm really staking my claim is that this fight goes to a decision, which is currently plus 230 on FanDuel. Yes, I lean Dustin Poirier. I think he gets it done. My pick, if I had to go fighter and outcome-specific, is Dustin Poirier by decision. But again, the odds, they're not really speaking to me in terms of who's going to win. I like that outcome-specific bet. Yo, yeah. The co-main event of the evening is a clash for the strawweight title between Carla Esparza and Zhang Weili. The champion Carla Esparza currently resides as a plus 277 underdog to the minus 375 Zhang Weili. That converts to a 26.5% implied likelihood of victory for Esparza to the 78.9% implied likelihood of victory for Zhang. Beta 1 also has Zhang as a favorite, but very narrowly so, and I'm going to explore why that might be and what it could mean for the outcome of this fight, at least in the context of a range of outcomes. To be upfront, I'm favoring Zhang Weili. Her athleticism is second to none in the strawweight division. She's been training with Henry Cejudo, she's developed her wrestling, and we saw that come to fruition in her recent demolition of Ioana Jacek. What's perhaps gone underrated is the quality of Carla Esparza's run. Her last win against Rose Namajunas, predicted by yours truly, may not have inspired the adoration of fans, but it did show the value of her chief characteristic, her wrestling 
in the context of the strawweight division. It's not a mistake that Carla Esparza has found herself in this position. She's capitalizing on a market inefficiency in WMMA. So I think Zhang Weili gets this one done, and I think she gets it done inside the distance by TKO. Carla Esparza is a very competent grappler. It's not going to be easy to submit her unless she's hurt prior to that submitting sequence. Zhang Weili can be a fast and overwhelming starter, and I think that's her best path to victory here, exercising her advantage in the striking and athleticism while she's at her freshest. But this next point might shock you. If Carla Esparza lands a takedown in that first round, I believe it changes the scope of the entire fight. She can do this all day. Zhang Weili has shown a tendency to fatigue. We saw her tire in that first Yoannian Jacek fight. We saw her tire in that second Yoannian Jacek fight after a wrestling heavy approach in the first round. She overcame it with an electrifying KO, but still I saw signs of fatigue. Lastly, in that Rose Namajunas fight, the rematch, a fight that she seemingly had in the bag, for some reason she was able to leverage her strength and get takedowns in the first half of the fight, but not the second half of the fight. And it harkens me back to the expression my old boxing trainer, Ishmir Ra, once told me. When you're fresh, you do what you want. When you're tired, you do what you can. If we get into the third, fourth round, and Carla Esparza has established her ability to get a takedown, we saw in that Yan Zhaonan fight, when her opponent begins to fatigue and is outmatched in the grappling realm, she is able to do damage. She is able to finish a fight, and she absolutely mauled Zhao Nan. So while I think the most likely outcome here is that Zhang Weili overwhelms Carla Esparza on her way to a TKO victory, you can notch that for plus 125 on FanDuel, I do see a world, an outcome in the vast range that has Esparza creeping into this fight, landing takedowns, surviving, and then coming on like an avalanche. I kind of like a speculative wager on a double chance victory for Carla Esparza. That is, Carla Esparza to win by TKO or submission. You can lock that in at plus 850 on FanDuel. Yo, yeah. The final bout I'll be covering is the main event of the evening. A middleweight title clash between Israel, the stylebender Adesanya, and Alex Potan Pereira. Adesanya currently sits as a minus 208 favorite according to the aggregate odds to the plus 167 underdog that is Alex Pereira. In other words, this is a 67.5% implied a probability of victory for Adesanya to the 37.5% implied likelihood of victory for Alex Pereira. And Beta One agrees the odds should be lopsided in favor of the style bender Israel Adesanya. So here's the question. Is this the first fight where I go contrary to the odds makers and contrary to the Beta One equation? The way Adesanya likes to fight is easy to interpret. It's a masterful approach. It's the same approach he's executed against every single fighter that he's competed against in the UFC. He sets the range. He forces you to cover the range. And depending on how many risks you're willing to take, influences how much damage you receive in return. The interesting and perplexing nature of this fight is that Alex Pereira 
isn't going to have to traverse the distance because he'll already be operating at the same distance as Adesanya. Both men have a similar reach and height. I expect Adesanya to be quicker and more elusive, whereas I expect Potan to be larger in frame and the more powerful striker between the two. Neither man has landed a takedown in the UFC, so while some are speculating that the MMA experience of Adesanya will be the key to his victory, it's unclear to me what facet of mixed martial arts Adesanya has developed to apply in this fight. When has he shown the ability to be more multifaceted than what he's always been? a mega-talented kickboxer. He doesn't have trips or sweeps or techniques from the clinch. He doesn't have takedown acumen. He has developed solid takedown defense, and he does have some submission ability off of his back, albeit limited. But where does that come into play in the context of a fight versus Alex Pereira? Another big point here is everyone knows that Alex Pereira defeated Israel Adesanya by knockout. What's perhaps glossed over is that their first fight went to a decision, and the results of that decision were debated at the time. Many think Israel Adesanya won that fight. Additionally, before the knockout in their second bout, Israel Adesanya stung Alex Pereira. He hurt him. It was a competitive bout that gets boiled down to a highlight reel knockout. For me, this fight is 50-50. It should be near even. I think Adesanya is being given a lot of credit for his status as a champion for defeating so many different mixed martial arts opponents that it's blinding people a little bit from the stylistic reality here and the history shared between these two fighters. I am leaning towards Adesanya, but it's not enough to really justify the odds. Like if I was to label that the most likely outcome was Adesanya by decision, which I think think it is, that's still only getting you plus 130, and there's a lot of room for volatility there, a big range of outcomes. In my perspective, neither man is going to have a place to fight. Alex Pereira is going to force Adesanya to engage. He will not be able to play his game from the outside and do the bare minimum while securing a comfortable victory. In this one, he's going to have to take chances because Pereira himself will take chances and they will both be able to make contact with one another from a comfortable range. Each man has a 65% finish rate, all of which have come by knockout. And that leads me to believe, combined with the bad blood, that we are going to see a finish. I'm liking the prop of under three and a half rounds that you can line up at plus 140. Yo, yeah. Thank you very much for tuning in to Tim Talk 281. I appreciate your listenership. I really feel like I brought my A-game for this one. After UFC 280, I locked horns with myself, came out of the crucible, a more refined fight-analyzing specimen, and I believe that we are going to reap the fruits of that labor. If you enjoy this podcast, please recommend it to like-minded folks in the community anybody that enjoys mixed martial arts. Additionally, I would love it. It'd be very helpful if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I do this. I do it for free. I do it for you, and I do it for me. Good luck, everybody, this weekend. Bet responsibly. Much love. I'm out.